What is up, Salt Company? This is your director, Daniel Nemmer, speaking. This week looks extremely different for only one reason. Essentially, we have to go totally virtual this week because a number of Keystone staff members were exposed to somebody who tested positive for COVID. So we're trying to be abundantly cautious and safe for you guys so that you guys can continue to experience a safe environment at Salt Company in the future. Um, Lord willing, we'll be back next week in person, but obviously tonight we are not. We are fully virtual, which means I get all the duties of announcements, worship. No, just kidding. I'm not going to sing to do, but just announcements and preaching. That's what you guys get today. So for announcements, we've only got a couple. First is worship auditions, people. Worship auditions. If you are talented or you have a gift in singing or playing instruments that you see us doing in tech, whatever you need, right? That could actually help us um, push Salt Company and push everybody there to uh, know and follow Jesus through worship, through tech. We want you to serve and you should. So email Amy, who is our worship director at Salt Company, amy at keystonelife.com. She would love to audition you for worship and tech needs. It would be incredible. Second thing is, guys, Spike Ball is canceled for tomorrow. I'm so sorry, but Lord willing, we have it next week. Um, next Friday, it should be going down. So um, last one. Actually, I have two more. Late night was supposed to be tonight. That is obviously pushed back to October 1st, so not next Thursday, but the Thursday after, we're going to be talking about race and the church and all those questions that you guys have that are kind of swirling in your guys' minds of how do I see the racial injustice in the world and how do I respond to it in a God-honoring way. Um, and Jared Cole from Cornerstone Church played basketball at the University of Iowa. He is going to be leading us in that. I love where his head is at because it's totally focused and centered around Christ, and you guys do not want to miss it. We're having a late night um, after the 8.30 service on October 1st. Um, and the actual last one is fall retreat, people. Fall retreat, no joke, one of the highlights of the year because, yeah, we have tons of fun together, but it's mainly, it is incredible to me to see how many people make life-altering decisions that pushed them to Jesus at Fall Retreat. And many of your guys' stories uh, or who were here last year, all of you people who were here last year, have that exact same story. Like, it's crazy to see what God will do at the Fall Retreat and how you guys are going to be connected so well in your guys' connection groups where your friendships will be bonding like crazy because you'll get away from the craziness of normal life and deep into each other's lives and deep into Jesus Christ. So, guys, I cannot wait for you to come to Fall Retreat. Sign up at saltankeny.com under the events tab. It'll be crazy. So those are the announcements. My announcement portion is done. Now is the message. My question is, how do you guys deal with stress? Seriously, how, how do you guys deal with stress? Um, I kind of deal with it in many different ways, and it's a little bit pathetic. It's normally not very good ways that I deal with it. Sometimes I, I try to talk my way out of it. Do you guys do that? try to talk your way out of it. Essentially, because I talk for a living, I feel like I can do some like verbal jujitsu and like get my way out of the dumb things that I do. That's sometimes how I deal with stress. Another way that I deal with stress is sometimes I try to hide from stress. Many of you guys are in this camp with me. How many of you guys have, you know, 
forgotten to pay a bill or forgotten to pay a loan because you just conveniently forgot about it. No, you're just hiding from it. Don't lie to me. You're totally just hiding from it. You're just stressed out by it and you're hiding from it. That is totally what I do. Another way that I try to deal with stress is by fixing it. Many of you guys do that too. Like whenever you see a problem, whenever you see something stressful, essentially you just try to fix it to make it make yourself feel better. I do that with my wife all the time. Whenever Kayla feels bad, essentially I will go buy her Starbucks or start cleaning the house, go buy her Chick-fil-A. Can I get an amen? Um, go buy her Chick-fil-A. Pretty much assuming that that's going to somehow fix all of her problems, even though I know that it's not actually going to fix her problems. I don't know why I try to do that. Sometimes that that's how I deal with stress many times. In my unhealthy state, that's how I deal with stress. I think this is the way that many of us actually deal with our sin, isn't it? Right? We try to follow Jesus, but yet when it actually comes to betraying Jesus in sin, we try to talk our way out of it, don't we? Or we try to, you know, hide in our shame and imagine that Jesus doesn't see that see us. And all that common is for Christians to actually try to fix ourselves before we look like we can, you know, kind of feel like we can come back to God, right? We try to talk our way out of it. We try to hide from God in our shame. And many times we just try to try to fix everything so that we can feel like we're coming to God. I think we do that all the time. And I do that all the time, especially the fixing and the hiding. Holy cow, do I do both of those all the time. I'm always trying to fix myself. I'm always trying to like hide in my own shame. I do that all the time. So how do you deal with sin is kind of the question I'm starting and laying out right now. Because today is our second and our last part of our know and follow series. Know and follow. Know was last week. Like, hey, do you actually know Jesus? Do you actually have a relationship with Jesus? And this week it's follow. Are you actually going to follow Jesus? Um, And if you're a Christian, how you deal with your sin, when it is right in front of you, how you deal with your sin tells God a lot about how closely you're following Jesus. In Psalm 32, actually, if you got your Bibles, in Psalm 32, King David shows us how many of us deal with our sin, but it starts off incredibly. Psalm 32, because here at Cell Company, we bring our Bibles. Psalm 32 is a psalm written by King David, and I absolutely love it. But verses 1 and 2 start with David talking to the leaders or excuse me, the readers, about a vision for this great life. Okay, a vision for this great life. Verse 1, Psalm 32, David writes, he says, How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. So it starts off with a bang, right? This vision for this great life. And essentially saying, hey, this person becomes joyful when they are forgiven of their sin and their sin is covered up. But there's these three words that describe sin in just those first two verses, okay? First one is sin, obviously. And the second one is transgression. And the third one is iniquity, okay? So I kind of want to define those three for us. The first one is sin. The definition of sin is essentially missing the mark. Imagine like somebody, some archer or some like somebody shooting, right? And they fling the bow 
and it misses the mark. It doesn't hit a bullseye every single time. Essentially, a sin is you missing the mark of God's standard, which is perfection. So we all sin. We all miss the mark. Don't we? None of us are perfect. Can I get an amen? Obviously. The second word is transgression, which is actually a little bit deeper. This word transgression refers to a presumptuous sin. A presumptuous sin. So to transgress is to choose to intentionally disobey. A transgression is a willful trespassing. So essentially, you know it's bad, but you do it anyways, right? We've all done that before. But, and then there's a third one. You got sin, transgression, and then iniquity. That word iniquity is much more deeply rooted. Iniquity, much more deeply rooted. Iniquity refers to a premeditated choice. To commit iniquity is to continue in that sin without repentance. It's different from transgression. Because you just continue to do it over and over and over again, not really caring to ever turn away from it. Like David, King David wrote this psalm in Psalm 32. And one of the sins that he's known for is committing adultery as a married man with a married woman named Bathsheba. It didn't just stop there, right? He knew that was wrong, but it didn't just stop there. He continued in that path of sin without repentance and actually ended up murdering her husband. That's iniquity, right? Like you, you start something that's bad, which starts in a transgression. You know it's wrong. And then just continue to live deeply rooted in that sin. That's an iniquity. So look at verse 1 through 2 again, and we'll see that it's... Now you read the verses a little bit differently. Verse 1. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. So essentially, how joyful and how happy is the one whose intentional sins are absolutely forgiven, whose general sins done in ignorance are absolutely covered, and how ecstatic is the one whose deeply rooted premeditated sin isn't charged against them. So in verse 2, that, that word charged, it, it sounds like courtroom language, doesn't it? Charged. It's like the, the judge is like weighing down the gavel, right? Charged. This person becomes joyful when God Almighty looks at who they are and doesn't give them what they deserve. Doesn't give them the judgment that they so clearly deserve. But David ends these first two verses in a very odd way. Okay, look at it. It says, And in whose spirit is no deceit. And in whose spirit is no deceit. Joy comes when you're not deceiving. Okay? When you're not lying or trying to hide something. So is this person trying to deceive God? Was David, when he's thinking about how he deals with sin, was he trying to deceive God? So these first two verses start with David talking to the readers. He's saying, hey, look what happens when you live this great life. But then all of a sudden he transitions from talking to the readers who are going to read this to it's almost like a, tr- a conversation with God and him. It's very odd, right? Starting verse 3, and we're actually starting verse 3. We're going to see very, very quickly four types of people that David describes when it comes to our approach to sin. And I'm going to draw out a grid for you to see what I call, I like to call this the confession grid. So these four types of people are on this grid, this top, this vertical line here. And if you're taking notes, I really want you guys to take notes. This top of this vertical line 
is confess, right? Confess at the very, very top. At the bottom is conceal, okay? Top part is confess, bottom is conceal. This is how we talk about our sin, how we talk about our sin. Now, I'm also going to write a uh, horizontal line. The right side is action, okay? Action. And the left side is apathy. Action and apathy. And guys, when I talk about action and apathy, what I'm talking about is how, it's just, this describes how we choose to fight our sin or not fight our sin. How we choose to fight it in action or not really fight it in apathy. Okay? Guys, this is so important because if you're a Christian, how you deal with sin is one of the most important ways you could either follow God or not follow him at all. Here's the thing. The choice is actually up to you, and the effect it takes on your life and on your soul could very well be describing where you're at right, right now. could easily do that. Watch as the rest of this passage actually describes these four types of people that I'm going to write their description in each quadrant. Here's the thing. You could very well be in one, if not all, of these four quadrants, like right now, tonight. I mean that. In any area of your life, in any area of the sin that you struggle with, you could be in one, two, three, or four, all of them. Every single quadrant right here. So this describes every single person watching this video. Okay, So if you think you can check out, you cannot. How do you deal with your sin? What type of person are you? Let's look at verse 3. This is about to describe the first person. Remember, this, is, this transitions to David talking to God. So this is a conversation between David and God. Verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Okay, did you see what I just saw? Did you see what I just saw? Right there. In verse 3, I see a lot of silence, right? Concealing of your sin. You're shoving it down deep. You're, you're being totally quiet about it. Verse 3, when I kept silent, it keeps going, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. So there's silence and groaning all day long. I see somebody who is, this quadrant, a fixer. See somebody who is a fixer. And I'm going to draw right over top of it a hammer. I know that doesn't look like a hammer, but it's a hammer. I see right here somebody who is a fixer, right? Somebody who is, who is, who is being totally silent, being totally ashamed of the sin that they have in the eyes of God, but I also see them trying to fix it. Because verse 3 says that their bones became brittle from groaning all day long. They were trying and trying and trying really hard to make themselves feel better. And now all of a sudden at the end, they're just groaning. They're trying so hard. I immediately think of my daughter, Annabelle. So my daughter, Annabelle, when she was little, I remember seeing this. She didn't think I was watching. She had her bottle of milk, okay? And she was trying to set it up on top of the, uh, of the counter, so she, she tries to put it on top of the counter, but it was like a little bit too high for her. And so it starts to tip and milk starts to fall out of her bottle, like on her and on the ground. And so she notices what she does 
and she knows she's probably gonna get in, you know, in a little bit of trouble if she just spills milk everywhere, but it's not really that much. So she tries to fix it without telling me by just like chucking the bottle up on the counter and it ends up spilling all over herself, all over herself. It was hilarious because I watched the entire thing. So she saw the milk first start to fall, doesn't tell me, and then immediately tried to make it better and it only got worse, right? She was being a fixer. She didn't want to tell dad in case she got in trouble, right? My sin tendency, guys, if I'm being totally honest, my sin tendency is this because it's actually really, really, really easy for me to notice when I sin. Like, it's not hard for me to notice when I sin. It's not like a difficult thing for me, right? Like I read a verse, you know, I self-reflect for five seconds and I realize that I'm wrong. So immediately I try really, 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 really hard to fix it, but I don't tell anybody. You try to, many of you guys are like this, you, you essentially try to try to shove the milk on the counter, right? Like you see the sin, you see the you know little droplets falling out, and then you try to fix it by putting the milk on the counter, and then all of a sudden it just falls all over you, right? The issue here isn't in the effort, in the action, right? Actually, the issue is in the concealing from God, the concealing from God. Because guys, your pride is in the way. My pride is totally in the way. And all we want to do is fix ourselves so that we can essentially present ourselves as perfect whenever God shows up. And in the end, just like this person, we actually end up being our own judge and our own jury because we end up self-condemning ourselves. How many, how many of you guys feel like this? How many of you guys have done this? You self-condemn yourself and try to fix everything because fixing doesn't work. But I see another person here. Another person within these, within verse three and four, look at verse three and four. When I kept silent, there's that concealing again, right? When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long for day and night. Your hand was heavy on me and my strength was drained as in the summer's heat. So did you guys just see what I just saw right there? Verse three, we've got the silent, right? The concealing. You guys already saw that already. Um, got the silent, and then their strength was drained. It seems like at that point, they moved from being like, taking a ton of action to seeing that doesn't really work to now they're not really doing anything. They're apathetic. They're concealing their sin, and they're also apathetic towards it, aren't they? So if they're concealing their sin and they're apathetic, this person is a hider. A hider. Write that in this one. A hider. Hider, you're going to see some more incredible artwork from me. This person is hiding under a shade tree, right? Underneath a, underneath a tree, you're essentially being shady with your sin. You're, you're hiding from God and everybody. You're concealing it and being apathetic towards it. Guys, fixing normally doesn't work, right? I think this is where a lot of people start. Fixing normally doesn't work, Okay. So eventually, you start here with your sin, and it doesn't work so badly, it gets so exhausting that you actually run from God, and eventually just kind of cave into yourself, don't you? You cave into yourself, and the effect is horrible. We see this in Psalm 32. You've experienced it, but now you have actually the Bible to, to actually show you what you feel, right? As long as they conceal sin from God, God's hand is heavy on them. Look at verse 4. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. 
Guys, in high school, I played football. I was not very good, but I played football. And one day in practice, it was so hot, like horribly hot. And I was like not even really trying that hard in practice, but it was so hot, it didn't really matter. I was sweating so much that one time when I like like trotted off to the sidelines to take a break, it was so hot that I just passed out. Just passed out immediately. It was over 100 degrees that day. So I just passed out. It was horrible. Essentially, the heat destroyed everything about me. It was so hot that like essentially the heat drained me and I could just feel the heavy, thick, horrible humidity and it just knocked me out. Totally knocked me out. That's the same effect that happens to a person who doesn't confess their sin. You get the heavy hand of God pressing on your back, weighing you down. Have you ever felt that way? Be honest. Have you ever felt that way? I think I think a hider hides. This is like me just kind of speaking really, really candidly. I think a hider hides because they're terrified of what God will think of them if they tell the truth. Right? Essentially saying, hey, it's already drained me to try to work this thing out. But I also know that God, if he sees everything that I am, like he's going to be ticked. So I'm, I'm just going to hide in shame. Essentially what Adam and Eve did, they hid from God. They were terrified of what he was going to do. Are you a hider? Are you concealing your sin and God's hand is heavy on you right now in a certain area of your life? Are you apathetic towards actually defeating your sin because you've never ever even actually seen consistent victory? Is that you? And then we see the next person. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal, there's that word, my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I love that. The next person. Do you see that? Somebody actually acknowledges and confesses their sin to God. They acknowledged it. It was right there. So they actually confessed it, but we haven't seen them actually take any action steps yet. So this person in this quadrant, somebody who confesses, their sin, but doesn't actually take any action towards their sin. They're still a little bit apathetic. This person is a talker. A talker. And you're going to see some incredible artwork right here. This is a mouth with teeth right here. Check that out. Incredible drawing. This person is a talker, okay? This person tried fixing, right? It didn't work. They tried the fixing. It didn't work. They got so, so, so exhausting or exhausted from trying to do it themselves, themselves, that they eventually got so drained that they became a fixer, right? And so eventually they felt the heavy hand of God just destroying them and weighing them down that they had to acknowledge who they were in the eyes of God. They moved from being a fixer to a hider, to a talker. So, too many times, here's the problem, way, way, way too many times, we stop here. We stop in the talking phase, don't we? We essentially say like, hey, God, I'm the worst. I just looked at porn. I just did this. I know, my bad. I just said this. I just thought this. My bad, right? We in this ho-hum, horrible mindset, right? And the problem is that you talk, 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 but don't take any action against your sin. And the end result is that you stay in this skill. 
You stay right there in the guilt. You essentially self-talk yourself into thinking that you are forever guilty and will forever, forever be guilty. You stay in this shame and don't pick up your feet and run to something better. Because there is something better. Which is where I see the last person. Let's start at the beginning of verse 5 again. The last person, this last quadrant. Verse 5. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not conceal my iniquity. All the deeply rooted sins that are deep within my heart that I know I'm unrepentant of. Actually, I will be repenting of them. Middle of verse 5. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great flood waters come, they will not reach him. You, God, are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Guys, right then and there, did you see that? They acknowledged their sin. They confessed their sin to God, right? They confessed it. And then look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. It says, Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. That is immediate action, right? They took action against their sin and took it to God. This person in this last quadrant up here, somebody who confesses and takes action against their sin, this is the goal. They are a repenter. Repenter. Repent-er. And then, ah, little glowing halos around the repenter because that is the quadrant that you want to be in, right? This person started confessing and stopped concealing. He started being honest in front of God. Because guys, God already knows what's on your mind and in your heart. He just wants you to come to him to deal with it. So I remember when I was little, I don't know if you were this exact same way, when I was little, essentially, the only mode of transportation I had was a bike. So I rode my bike literally everywhere. But I was a pastor's kid, so we weren't super rich at all. And we had pretty crappy bikes. And I had this one bike where the chain just kept falling off. Oh, it was so annoying. Essentially, if I didn't ride my bike perfectly, my chain would fall off. And I didn't know how to fix my chain at all because I was a little kid. But my dad knew how to fix it. So... Every single time my chain came off, I had to run and go get my dad. He would come out and fix it. And it was this horrible back and forth. So uh, Fridays have and probably always will be my dad's like busiest day. Like nobody ever, ever, ever bothers my dad on a Friday. So lo and behold, when I was little, it was a Friday and I'm riding my bike and I don't ride it perfectly and the chain falls off. And I knew it was Friday and I knew my dad was busy and I knew the last thing I wanted to do was go and talk to my dad and ask him to fix it. And I tried to fix it and I tried to fix it and I literally hid like away from his office and it was horrible. But I knew I was like, oh my gosh, it's not going to get fixed unless I go talk to my dad. So I like opened up his office and I was terrified, like no joke. No joke. I was absolutely terrified. What I expected was my dad to freak out and be essentially this tyrant jerk up a dad and tell me that I was ruining his day and that I, I can't believe that you would inconvenience me this way, Daniel. Like, get out of my office. I don't want to talk to you. I'm actually just more mad now. That's what I expected. Instead, I walked into his office in fear and trembling and asked him to fix the stinking chain on my bike. And he got up out of his chair fixed the chain, gave me a hug and a kiss, and then left. It was beautiful. It was not at all what I expected. 
Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. I'll take my chain that's off of my bike and actually bring it to you, God, after I didn't do my thing perfectly. And how do you react? How do you respond? When I repent, end of verse 5, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Guys, I, I think many times we expect the reaction of revealing our sin to God to be shock, to be God feeling repulsed by what we did, or God just raining down the gavel of judgment immediately on us. That is immediately what we expect God to do. Because we're so ashamed of the sin that we bring. But how does God react? How does God respond? End of verse 5, he shows us that he's not a tyrant judge. He's a merciful father to his children. God immediately forgives us of the guilt of our sin. But that that, that phrase, that, that phrase where it says, you know, at the end of verse 5, you forgave the guilt of my sin. I need you guys to know that This is written in the book of Psalms, right? This was written in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. So you guys need to know that back in their town, the readers who would have been reading this in their town, since it was written under the Old Covenant, Israel was underneath the Old Covenant, which meant that back in the day, if you confessed your sin and if you actually brought a sacrifice to God and burnt it on a million altars, God would, you know, pass, he would essentially forgive those sins that you just confessed until you could, until you actually committed another sin. Then you had to redo the process over and over and over and over and over because no sacrifice was actually really that good. So you could only do a temporary forgiveness from God. It was a horrible, rough system. Essentially, the system in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant was God must receive payment and sacrifice for forgiveness from you. It was a continuing process for you to gain God's love. What you need to know was, That was the old covenant law, but we live in a new covenant reality. Because when you look at verse 5, look at verse 5, when it says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, right? And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Guys, in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says about Jesus, Jesus was pierced for our transgressions on the cross. So if you're a believer... If you're in Christ, your guilt and punishment was taken upon the back, the hands, and the head of our King Jesus. Our guilt was put on Jesus so that we can live in freedom of eternal guilt. God doesn't need to re-forgive our sins, guys. He just needs to relieve us of the guilt that we actually hang on our own heads. And I need to, I need to take a pause right here. The guilt and weightiness of the burden of your sins is actually a good thing. It's a good thing to feel guilty of your sin. It's not okay to live in the guilt of your sin. Let me explain that. Temporary guilt is okay for a believer because it actually pushes you to the one who took your guilt for you then it actually reminds you to walk in the freedom of your deliverance and pushes you to repentance that you weren't living in before. Because verse 6 is so, so, so beautiful, guys. Verse 6 is so beautiful. Once you see your mistakes and your sin and the way you handled it, verse 6 says, look at verse 6, 
Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. Yes, with all that in mind, with all of your past mistakes and seeing God the wrong way, immediately confess to God. Guys, when I was a sophomore in college, that was my first connection group that I was ever in. And I had one of the best connection group leaders of all time. Who He was the first person who actually showed me how to confess your sin. Essentially, I showed up there every single week and my connection group leader would start the connection group off with, hey guys, I got to talk about something. I did this this week. I looked at porn this week. I cheated this week. I did this this week. And he would start off connection group talking about all the sins that he did. It was the weirdest thing in the world. Super weird. And it totally threw me off. I won't lie to you. Like, I'm walking in. I'm like, whoa, whoa. I've never confessed in a day in my life. What is this guy doing? This is odd to me. But I realized that he wasn't trying to be impressive in front of us. He was just trying to be real. That's all he was trying to do. Guys, he, he was putting his crap on the table and wasn't hiding it or trying to fix it himself. And because he actually wanted to defeat his sin through the power of Christ, he was confessing it and actually taking action against it. He wasn't talking, right? He was truly confessing it so that he could look like Jesus. What was super, super cool was to see that afterwards, we all started to confess our sin too. We started to see how free my leader was. And we all started to sit back and say like, wait a minute. He's actually finding victory over his sin. So we started to confess. We started to confess like little by little, little pieces of us were being shown until eventually just all of our sin was out on the table. All of it. It was incredible. There was a beautiful freedom in just us just showing who we truly were. We were filthy, rotten, disgusting sinners who were just trying to look like Jesus. That's all we were. And we were actually able to, through confession, hold each other accountable. We were able to remind each other of truth whenever we would actually feel tempted to, I don't know, look at porn, smoke weed, be lazy, you name the sin. We probably did it, but we wanted accountability. We wanted to bring it out into the light so that Jesus could actually refine and purge us of the sin that was deeply rooted inside our hearts. Because we were repenters. That's what we were. We were actually starting to take our first steps in repenting, looking more and more like Jesus. Guys, my buddies and I actually felt freedom from the floodwaters. Look at verse 6. It says at the end of it, When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. The person who confesses, the repenter. When great floodwaters come, uh, well, what does it say? They will not reach him. Guys, my buddies and I felt freedom from the floodwaters, the floodwaters of guilt, right? The floodwaters of weighty waves crashing against us over and over and over again. Guys, when these floodwaters come in your life, they become irrelevant because of who is protecting you. When the floodwaters of sin and shame and guilt and temptation come upon you, God seems to block them from even reaching you. Look at verse 7. You, God, are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely incredible. God is essentially your security blanket. He is now in, you are now in the protective arms of God the Father, and he is reminding you of who you are in his eyes. Loved and not guilty. Loved and protected in his grace, in his mercy, because his son became guilty for you. 
Guys, essentially, this is the normal path of the Christian. You start off trying to fix your sin, right? You look at it, it's ugly, it feels icky, and you're like, okay, I'm done with this, right? Like, I'm going to try to fix this thing, right? I'm going to take tons of action. Then you get exhausted because you can't actually fix it. So then you move in your shame to hiding, right? And so then all of a sudden, after you hide for so long, you start groaning, you become drained in all this sin and all this heaviness of God's hand on you that eventually you're like, okay, I have to acknowledge who I am in front of God. You move from a hider to a talker. But then here's what's beautiful. Here's what's absolutely beautiful. Right here, you still kind of see God as a tyrant judge. The second you start to not see God as a tyrant judge and actually a merciful father, you move from being a talker to a repenter. This is just the normal path of a Christian is what I see. But here's the thing. Instead, in your sin, I want you to do what verse 6 says. Immediately run to God. Immediately run to his grace. And guys, how you practically do that is in your connection groups. Many of you guys, for the first week, last week, it was rolled out in your connection groups, the Kairos Circle, which is sort of how we're structuring connection groups this year, which essentially is us trying to figure out like, hey, God spoke to you in some way this week. What did he say? And what are we going to do about it? Right? Many of you guys practically this, this week, maybe you need to confess sin for the very, very first time because God is speaking into your life. Maybe within this message right now, Hey, I know you're sinning. Run to me. Run to me immediately, right? Run to me immediately. I want you to see how I've paid this price for you to walk in freedom and in victory and not hide in your shame. Confess your sin. For you practically this week, believer, confess your sin in your connection group this week. And some of you, maybe for the very, very first time, Confess your sin. And for you guys who don't know Jesus, if you feel guilty, it's because you are. I'm going to be totally honest. If you feel guilty and you don't know Jesus, it's because you are. It's because right now your sin and your shame has condemned you. You, you literally stand in the presence of God condemned because of your sin. But Jesus did something for you. In Isaiah 53... In verses 5 and 10, it says this, But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Yet, God the Father was pleased to crush Jesus severely. When you make him a guilt offering, God will see his seed. God will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. If you don't know Jesus, you need to see that Jesus was nailed to the cross for the most deeply rooted and hidden sins that you've done. The shame you feel is real. The guilt you feel is real. The heaviness of your life is purposefully done by God to bring you to your knees in repentance so that God can lift you up in forgiveness. Would you place your faith in Jesus tonight? 
would you get the weight of your sin off your shoulders and run to the loving arms of Jesus? I kind of want to cast some vision. So at, at, at the end of college, I actually went back and talked to my leader when I was a sophomore in college. The first time I confessed sin, right, when he was leading me in it, I actually saw him like not that long ago. And I started talking about like, dude, do you remember the first time we confessed sin? Do you remember like all these things? We were just kind of reminiscing about it. And he said something that like blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. He said, Daniel, if I didn't have my sophomore year of struggling with porn and struggling with all these sins and confessing it for the very first time, repenting for the very first time, if I didn't have my sophomore year of doing that, I wouldn't have had my junior year of living in freedom. It just blew me away. He showed me, he was like, he was like, essentially, I have a tangible timeline of God's work in my life of following him and how I deal with my sin. My sophomore year, living in judgment of myself, living in lack of victory to repenting and confessing and confessing and living the light to where now, holy cow, I'm living in freedom from my past self. Behold, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Guys, I hope that this week, for many of you, is your first time ever confessing sin. And I pray that you see that right now could be the beginning to where, even though you're deeply rooted in your sin and in your iniquity, I pray that at the end of this year, you start to see a tangible timeline of how you are following Jesus in incredible victory. Guys, that's the end of my sermon. Honestly, I, I pray that this message is life-changing for you. If you want to place your faith in Jesus, let us know. We want to lead you in that. For many of you guys, the next step is in Connection Group. Confess your sin. I love you guys. We will see you next week, Lord willing, in person. See ya. Go Bears.